Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, I'm sure that that was misdirected in my, from my part. I'm sure you meant the other way. But nonetheless, let's go ahead and turn to 2 Kings today. 2 Kings. <laughs> 2 Kings chapter 22. <laughs> All right. It was funny. I heard of a preacher one time. I actually heard him say it, so I know it's true. But in his church, uh, you know, like if you'd go to a conference, people would stand up and they would, you know, they would give a standing ovation often to the preacher that would come preach. Just, you know, praise the Lord, we got preaching. You know, you know everybody claps for the singers. Everybody claps. They would preach for the, pray, uh, clap for the preachers. And I remember the preacher one time saying, he says, I don't allow my people to give me standing ovations. And I thought, Wow. I would if they'd do it. But anyway, <laughs> no, I'm joking. I, I'm joking. I, but, but, you know, I, I thought, man, are, are you, I mean, what? I, I, can't, I can hardly imagine that. But, but uh, you know, I, I do like, I do think it's important that we teach our young people to love preachers. I really do. I, I know it was kind of interesting that Thursday night at our teens, uh, spectacular, uh, you know, our vacation Bible school, we ended up on Thursday and, and Brother Earl Ankrum was here. And when he went to go preach, the teens all clapped for him and they got fired up. I thought that was wonderful. I was excited about that. And uh, I think it's good that they love good preaching. And, you know, it's funny today, isn't it? People say you can't get teenagers to come to a church where they actually have standards, where they want to live separated from the world, where they preach hard at them about sin and all that. You can't, it doesn't work anymore. Uh, man, I'll tell you, that's not true at all. Uh, we had a great group gathered here. They had a great time. And, boy, I tell you, Brother Ankrum tore into us, didn't he? And we had a lot of fun. It was a great, a great evening. And the Lord certainly moved. And we were excited about Thursday's, uh, Thursday's meeting. This coming Thursday, again, you want to be a part of it. Uh, we're going to have with us uh, Brother Steve White. Of course, he, uh, we sent him down to West Virginia to start a church. And he's been down there for a number of years. They'll be celebrating their 10th anniversary down there. And uh, we're excited about that. Brother Steve's a great guy and doing a fabulous job. And, and his church is not quite uh, uh, as large as maybe some churches are. But he li- he's back in a holler somewhere, all the way back 20 miles out of the closest little city. I mean, it's an amazing place uh, back there. And he's done a marvelous job with those folks. And he's excited about some things that are going on there. And I'm sure maybe, maybe he'll share a few things with us. But uh, I'm, I'm excited for him. But nonetheless, he'll be with us Thursday. I'm looking forward to hearing him preach. And uh, he, gets, he, he really gets into it. He's a country boy. And you'll, you'll like him. He's a lot of fun. All right, 2 Kings chapter 22. We're going to begin reading in verse 1 today. 2 Kings chapter 22. The Bible tells us there, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned thirty and one years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah, the Boshkath. <laughs> I really know how to pronounce all these names. I do it for your pleasure. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the way of David his father, and turned not aside to the right hand nor to the left. And it came to pass in the eighteenth year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which, is, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. 
And let them give it to the doors of the, uh, to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord to repair the breaches of the house, to the carpenters and builders and masons, and to buy timber and hew stone to repair the house. Howbeit there was no reckoning made with them of the, that, of the money that was delivered into their hand, because they dealt faithfully. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work, that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe shewed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. I want you to notice what just happened. I want you to take just a moment with me and think about what just transpired in that passage. What we learn in that passage right here in 2 Kings is that the book of the law was rediscovered. I mean, how could that be possible? I mean, this was Judah. These were God's people. Surely they had a copy of the law, right? I mean, without doubt, they must have had it. Probably hundreds of copies, right? Apparently not. How insanely unbelievable is that? To think that the priest goes into the house of God and there, ultimately, he rediscovers a book. Hezekiah was one of the greatest kings that ever ruled in Judah's history. His reign marked righteousness. He walked with God and his walk with God was so intimate that when the time came for him to die, Hezekiah the king, years before, had begged God for extra life for more years. God heard his cry and gave him 15 years of life. Hezekiah was a great king. You think I'm crazy. You think I've missed out and forgot who we're talking about, don't you? I'm giving you some history. Hezekiah was a great king. And Hezekiah had 15 more years to live. With that last 15 years of life, however, he didn't finish as strong as he had begun. The first 14 were spectacular. The last 15 were probably average at best. In the meantime, he had a son. And his son's name was Manasseh. Manasseh took over the kingdom after his death. Manasseh was only 12 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned for 55 years. 55 years Manasseh reigned. But Manasseh was one of the most wicked and vile and wretched kings that Judah ever had. 55 years of idolatry, 55 years of rejecting the God of heaven. In 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 4 through 6, we read that Manasseh, he built altars in the house of the Lord. He built altars in the house of the Lord. You say, that's a wonderful thing. It would be, but they weren't to his God. 
And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said, In Jerusalem will I put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he made his sons pass through the fire and observe times and used enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. He wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Fifty-five years... Rejecting Jehovah God. Following his 55 year reign and death, his son Ammon ruled in his stead. Ammon only ruled two years, however. He too was a wicked king, following in his father's footsteps. So what we find was that Hezekiah was a great king. He reigned uh, 29 years, but the last 15 of those 29 were anything but stellar. In those last 15 years, he bore a son by the name of Manasseh, who ultimately assumed the throne. And for 55 years, he tore down everything that his father Hezekiah had built. Everything. His son Ammon followed his evil footsteps for two years, and then he died. Now we come to Josiah, the eight-year-old king. He's only eight years old now. He's assuming the throne. But he must have had some sort of godly influence in his life. Somehow, God was instilled in his character. Somehow, he had obtained a faith in Jehovah amidst all of the evil that abounded. At the tender age of eight, he assumes the throne... And just eight years later, this Josiah, at 16 years of age, asserts his authority and begins to seek out the God of heaven and ultimately stomp out idolatry in his nation. What do we learn from this history lesson? Here's what we learn. It only takes one generation to lose the Bible, the Word of God. One generation. Hezekiah, now Manasseh. And already we've lost the Word of God. Now we're cleaning up the temple. Now we're restoring the temple. Now we're trying to make it look presentable. And we find a book. It only takes one generation to lose the Bible and the Word of God. Look, if you would, over to Judges chapter 2 real quickly. Judges chapter 2. We're going to read of another situation where they lost the Word of God, where they lost faith in God in just one generation. One might say, well, that's just a coincidence. It's just this one situation. No, it is a truth. It only takes one generation to lose God's Word. Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. That too. (laughs) Judges. Just making sure you're listening today. It's been a very long week. I was afraid many of you were still asleep after VBS, Vacation Bible School. I see that you've done well. Judges chapter 2. I'm already there. I don't know about you. 
Verse 8. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath Ares, in the mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gaish. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods, and the gods of the people that were around about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord, and served Baal and Ashtaroth. One generation. Here we find in this particular passage that Joshua and those that had traveled with him had experienced the miraculous hand of God in their life, in their ministry, and their warfare was supported by the God of heaven. There the walls of Jericho fell. There the sun stopped in its place. There the hail came and destroyed more with hail than even the sword. They saw the miracles of God. They experienced them firsthand, but now they're gone, they're dead, and another generation arose that knew Not God. We're only one generation away from losing the Bible. The word of God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. One generation. Josiah is 18 years into his reign now. He assigns some priests to repair that temple. They're cleaning it up. And all of a sudden they recover Or rediscover this book. The book had been there a long time. Don't misunderstand me. The book had been there all along. They just now have rediscovered it. It's sad to me today that somehow people think that in 19, what was it, 47, when they found the book of Isaiah, they somehow, we somehow found the Bible. No, we've had the Bible. People somehow believe that now since we've had some of these newer translations and newer Bibles, that somehow we have finally discovered the Bible that's been missing all... No, we've always had the Word of God. He promised to preserve it from that generation forever. And may I say, we've never lost the Bible. We've always had it. And I'm going to tell you, they had the Bible too. It had already been discovered. The problem was, they lost it along the way, and now they're only rediscovering it. Amongst the debris and the dust, they come across a book. It's kind of like that book sometimes that we come across that's found in a trunk or under the bed. That book that we've forgotten about throughout the week that's covered with a thick layer of dust. Or it could possibly be Grandma's Bible that we find when we are going through our mom and dad's things after their passing. You didn't even know it was there, but it was there all along. You just rediscovered it. That book that they found turned out to be none other than the law of God, which is the Word of God. There they found the Old Testament, which included the prophecies. Prophecies by men like Jeremiah and Isaiah. Men like Daniel and Ezekiel. 
They found these prophecies. They said, oh my, we found the prophecies. Oh, we now have the Word of God. We now possess the literal words of God Himself. The priests bring the book to the king. They begin to read the book. And a fire is kindled in his heart. A fire begins in his bosom that ultimately wheels the, where the, that cause the wheels of change to begin and to turn. Man, things are going to happen now because they've rediscovered the book. The journey of that change is recorded for us. And I want to spend just a few minutes and note some of the changes that took place in the life of Josiah and some of the changes that took place in the lives of that nation as a result of rediscovering the book. I believe today that we need to rediscover the book. I believe today that many people know there's a Bible, but I don't know that too many open it up and really understand it and, in, and, and truly take it in. I mean, digest it. We need to rediscover this book. And so let's take a look at some of the change that took place as a result of rediscovering the book. I want to preach a simple message I've entitled, Rediscover the Book. Rediscover the Book. Let's pray. Father, we come to you asking you, Lord, just to bless us. May you stand in my shoes and fill me with your spirit. May I become your very mouthpiece even now, Lord Jesus. Father, I have nothing to offer this thy people except you put it in my heart and in my mouth. Lord, may you just anoint every listening ear that they may hear with spiritual ears. May we leave encouraged and may we leave empowered and, Father, inspired even, Father, to live for you and to give to you our very best. Father, if there be any that are in this room that are lost without Christ, may they be saved before they leave. Holy Spirit of God, do what only you can. Father, I am so weak, but, Father, you are strong. Father, I commend this service into your hands and ask, Lord, that you would mightily move. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, when you rediscover the book, it'll change your posture. It'll change your posture. Look over at 2 Kings again, our text, verse 11. Again, we're going to note some of the change that took place as a result of rediscovering the book. Notice it says in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 11, And it came to pass, when the king had heard the words of the book of the law, that he rent his clothes. Later in the chapter, we're given further details, as it says, Because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I said against this place, and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a a desolation and a curse, and hast rent thy clothes, and wept before me. He said, I've also heard thee, saith the Lord. He said, you rent your clothes and you cried before me. When you rediscover the book, you'll bend your knees. We live in a prayerless generation. We live in a time when even pastors and churches and people in the pew fail to pray and reach out to heaven. We live in a day without knees bent, without hearts humbled. We rediscover that book. It'll bend our knees. It'll change our posture. Pretty soon we'll be depending on God more. Pretty soon we'll recognize the need for prayer. Pretty soon we'll be truly yielded and surrendered to God. He found himself on his face before God. 
Oh, that mankind would find themselves on their face before God. We're so embarrassed to come to an altar and pray. We're so embarrassed to bend, fold our hands and pray for our dinner, our lunch, or our breakfast. We're so embarrassed to lift our voices to heaven and allow people to see that we are God's people. May I say today, if you just simply rediscover this book, if you just find yourself in its pages daily, if you just let it sink itself into your soul, you will bend your knee. It'll change your posture. Romans chapter 14, verse 11, the Bible says, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. No man, no woman will escape bowing before the Lord. The only question is when and where. You can choose to bow now and be, or be forced to bow later. It's up to you. You can, you, can, you can bow before a merciful, forgiving, loving Savior, or you can bow before a wrathful, vengeful judge. When, jo, when Josiah rediscovered the book, man, it changed his posture. He found himself on his knees, and he rent his clothes, and he cried out to God, Oh, God! When's the last time you cried out to God? I'm not saying just said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now, I'm not talking that kind of crying out. I'm talking about from the heart. He was quick to assume the kneeling position and to cry out to God after they rediscovered the book. Do you know I'm convinced today the reason why there's so little prayer going on is because we really have not discovered it. Not rediscover. Oh, it's still there. We talk a lot about it. But it's not in here. We need to rediscover it. I dare say that most people read magazines more and read, read the newspaper more and read the blogs on their, their internet more than they do the Word of God. I'm just, I'm just spiffballing. But I think I might be on to something. Because, see, there's such a lack of prayer in our world. There's such a lack of prayer in our culture. There's such a lack of prayer in our churches. There's such a lack of prayer in the Christian's life today. If we rediscover this book, it'll change our posture. Number two, when you rediscover the book, it'll change your perspective. Look at the old Second Kings again, chapter 22, this time, verse 13. Chapter 22, verse 13, this time. Go ye, inquire of the Lord for me, and for my, before the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book, to do according unto all that which is written concerning us. Josiah hears the word of God, and when he, when he finally rediscovers this book, he falls on his face before God. He cries out to God. And there, not only did it change his posture, but it changed his perspective. Now all of a sudden, he looks at his life, and he looks at his ministry, and he looks at his people, and he looks at his nation, and he says, Wow, we've been trying to do the best we can, and with what we've had available, I think we've done a good job. But now that I see this book, now that I've read its words, now that I've seen God's perspective and God's standard, I realize we've fallen miserably short. 
He's the king of Judah. I mean, give him a break, right? He started at eight years old. What do you expect? And yet he himself broke free from the bondage of sin by saying, I'm not going to live like Manasseh, my grandpa. I'm not going to live like Ham and my daddy. I'm going to let God be real in my life. But he didn't have the book, mind you. He did the best he could and he did a good job in comparison. I thought he was doing a real fine job as he sought after God. I thought he did a good job at the age of 20 when he went ahead and began a national program to, to go ahead and to, to be rid of all idolatry. I think he did a good job. Don't misunderstand me. But now he's 26 years old and they've rediscovered the book. All of a sudden, the rules have all changed. All of a sudden, everything's different now. He has a standard by which to draw from. It's not just what he feels or what he thinks or what he knows or what someone's told him. Now he has God's Word. And all of a sudden, what went, what looked like a good job, what seemed like things were going pretty well, he said, man, we're falling miserably short. I'm not the king I ought to be. This isn't the kingdom it ought to be. We're not honoring God like we ought to. We're sinning against God. Oh, he was doing a good job for, the, for what he had available, but now he, after rediscovering the book, his perspective changed. You know, if you talk to enough people about their life, their future... They'll say things like, you know, I believe I'm a pretty good person. I'm okay. I mean, I know that I'm not perfect, maybe, but I'm better than most. I mean, I don't hurt people intentionally. I don't, I don't do wrong or bad things. I mean, I'm a pretty good person. You know what? They're a good person as long as they continue to compare themselves to others. But let them rediscover this book. Let them open these pages. Let them read about a perfect Savior that died on Calvary 2,000 years ago, was buried and rose again the third day. Let them see Jesus who healed the brokenhearted, set the captive free. Let them see Jesus. And they'll see themselves as the wicked, vile, wretched sinner they truly are. Their perspective will change. Oh, I'm not good at all. And by the way, may I say that I'm still nothing. There's nothing good about me at all. Nothing at all. I am just a sinner deserving hell. I just thank God for His marvelous grace. And may I say today there's not one person sitting in these pews that deserves one fraction of one second in the presence of God. If it weren't for Jesus Christ and His sacrifice and His marvelous grace, we would never, ever merit His favor. Business as usual took a back seat now. So we're going to see that not only when we rediscover the book, it'll change our posture, it'll change our perspective. But when you rediscover the book, it'll change your priorities. It'll change your priorities. Look, if you will, in 2 Kings 23. 2 Kings 23. Notice verses 1 and 2. And the king sent, and they gathered unto him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. And the king went up into the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, the priests and the prophets and the people, both small and great. And 
He read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant which was found in the house of the Lord. And that's something. Business as usual took a back seat to the word of God now. I mean, every one of those people had responsibilities. Every one of them, I'm sure as a whole, had families to take care of. Every one of them had responsibilities outside of the house of God. And yet, finding the word, once they rediscovered that word, all of a sudden all that mattered was the word. I remember, it was a number of years ago, but I was at the University of Akron. It was my first year at college. And I was talking to my brother, and I looked across the lunch room, and I saw a young lady. And I said, I, I, I saw her, and I looked at my brother. I said, do you know who? She said, he said, oh, yeah, she goes to our church. Now, you got to understand, at that time, I was singing in a group. I was traveling across the country. I didn't go to church much. I was always in different churches. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now that singing groups need to be out of local churches. At that time, I didn't understand local church like I do now. I'd never do that now without my pastor's approval. But at that time, I was traveling around the country in different churches singing in a quartet. So when I got back to college, I, 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 was, I was there. I saw across. I said, oh, who, do you know who that is? Because I saw some other people from our church. She, my brother said, oh, that's, that's so-and-so. She goes to our church. I said, she goes to our church? I said, she ain't bad looking. She's all right. She was talking to some guys that I knew from high school, and I thought, oh, they're a bunch of jocks. You know, they're all these guys, you know, all, you know, yuppie kind of dudes. I went, man, she must be all uppity then. She's hanging around that group. He said, no, she's pretty nice. I went, yeah, whatever. I ended up going in the Army. I spent three years in the military active duty, and I, of course, spent time in the National Guard following. But once I got out of the active Army, I went ahead and went back to school. Now, when I went back to school, of course, um, things went well, everything was good, but I remember finally getting a chance to go to church now. I mean, I wasn't traveling at all, and I wasn't overseas, so now I'm back home, I started going to church, and guess who I saw? I saw that girl. Now, I'd been out hanging out with my buddy, and we'd been doing a lot of things together every night. We stayed pretty active. Matter of fact, it was Brother Fred's brother, and we were doing all kind of different things, running around and, and just going here, going there, and whatever it might be. And, boy, I'll tell you what, I was busy. I stayed busy. I liked to be active all the time. But when I rediscovered that girl, everything changed. Wasn't, whole, wasn't too important to be with his brother anymore, I'll tell you that. All of a sudden, I had a real desire to be around her. I met her at church. Uh, of course, she tracked me down. If you only knew the truth. I, I had to carry a stick. But when I rediscovered her, all of a sudden, everything changed. I mean, his brother, well, are we going to do something? Well, not tonight. We're going to do No, not now. I mean, everything got changed all of a sudden, and I didn't mean to ditch my friend or whatever, but I rediscovered that girl, and she was sweet, and I wanted to be with her. And I'm going to tell you something. When you rediscover this book, all of a sudden everything else just doesn't matter like it used to. All of a sudden, this book matters like it never did before. We need to rediscover the book. It'll change our priorities. Now, all of a sudden, 
It wasn't business like usual. The word of God took priority and precedence. Placing God first and not the flesh was at the top of the list. Pleasing God and not self became a priority in their life. Ease and comfort were replaced with education and communication with God and from the word of God. The goal now was to learn, to love, and to live that book. They'd rediscovered it. But we need to rediscover the book. It'll change our priorities. What's important to you today? What's important to you today? I'm going to tell you something. If you rediscover this book, that will change. That's why some people don't want to find it. That's why they don't look too hard. They're pleased with their life. They're comfortable with their sin. They don't want to rediscover the book. They don't want to have to look in the mirror of the Word of God. They don't want to have to see themselves for the sinners they are and the need for the change that God demands. But I'm going to tell you, when you find this book, when you rediscover it, it will change your priorities. And finally, let me just close. When you rediscover the book, it'll change your practice. It'll change your practice. It'll change your posture. It'll change your perspective. It'll change your priorities. But it will change your practice. Look at 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 3 this time. And the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their heart and all their soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people stood to the covenant. Man, they rediscovered the book. And when they did... The king made covenant with God and the king said, Okay, it's time, fellas, it's time, ladies. It's time that we obey this book, that we perform all the statutes in this book. It's time that we live this book. We take this book, if we're not careful, we walk out the door, we put it in the back seat of our car and that's where it stays the whole week. I mean, we're not careful. That's where it remains. Or it sits up there in the top. And then we get driving down the road. We put our windows down. We hear this. And we go, oh, man, my Bible's back there. And that's about the most attention we pay to it the rest of the week. And then Sunday comes and we search for it. Where'd that Bible go? I know I put it back there in the window. Where'd it go? Your wife says, oh, well, it was getting all bent up. The kids were playing with it, so I took it and threw it in the house. What? Where's my Bible now? Kind of hard to obey a book you don't even know anything about. In 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 3, we see that the king made up his mind. They were going to follow the statutes with all their heart and with all their soul, and they were going to perform the words of the covenant that were written in that book. They rediscovered it. Now they said, we're going to live it. We're going to practice it. Do you know what happened as a result of their change of practice? Number one, you're going to find that when you truly rediscover that book, you'll search out sin. That's what they did. That's what Josiah did. That's what the people did. They searched out sin. In the book of Psalm, chapter 139, verse 23, the psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Josiah said, Now that I've rediscovered this book, I want to search out sin in my life. I want to know where I fail. I want to know where I don't measure up. I want to know what doesn't please my Lord. 
And then he looked at his marriage and he looked at his family and he said, God, God, I want to know where we measure, don't measure up. I want to know where we fail you. I want to know what the priorities of my life and marriage ought to be. And he looked at his nation and he said, these people, we've sinned against you. The fathers, my fathers, and, and my grandfather, and my great-grandfathers, and all of them, many of them, have forsaken your word. And now here we are today. Oh, rebellious and disobedient people, God, search us out. Show us where we failed you. Show us where we're wrong and where we need change. They begged to learn the truth about self and about their people and their nation. Not only will you search out sin, but you'll stomp out evil. You'll stomp out evil. You know, if a fire started up here right now and it just started to kindle, I'd be over here going. I'd be stomping out that fire, boy. I wouldn't want it to get started any more than it is. That's what you do. Have you ever had a little fire? You had a little fire pit and something started over here on the side? You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Can you imagine if I just had a rose in my mouth now? They stomped out sin. They made sure that it was gone. They made sure they did what was necessary to get it handled. In 2 Kings chapter 23, turn if you would, 23 verse 5. You're already in 23, look at verse 5. Let's read just a couple verses as we note them stomping out evil. Oh, by the way, if you're faint of heart, you may not want to read this with us. If you think what the world's doing is okay, you may want to cover your ears. This may offend you. Let's read it. But it's God's word, though. 23, notice what it says in verse 5. And he put down the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places round about Jerusalem, them also that burned incense unto Baal, to the sun and to the moon and to the planets and to all the hosts of heaven. And he brought out the grove from the house of the Lord without Jerusalem under the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and stamped it small to powder and cast the powder thereof upon the graves of the children of the people. And he brake down the houses of the Sodomites that were by the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the grove. I want to show you another incident. Look over in 2 Kings twenty three fourteen. And he brake in pieces the images and cut down the groves and filled their places with the bones of men. He did that to defile them. To defile it. So anyone that worshipped those images, worshipped those gods, knew you can't worship there anymore. They've been defiled. Notice verse 24. The Bible says, moreover, the workers with familiar spirits and the wizards and the images and the idols and all the abominations that were spied in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem did Joash put away that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book of Hilkiah, the the priest, found in the house of the Lord. I want you to notice something again. He says, and the wizards. He got rid of them. He didn't let them stick around no more. They're gone. Listen, you've got to have a strong stomach to handle God and His Word. You know what the problem is with us today as a culture? We're too weak. We want our cake and eat it too. We want to live like the devil, and yet we want God's blessing in our life. It doesn't work that way. And listen, you can't surround yourself with evil and sin and think somehow you're going to come out smelling like a rose. It doesn't work that way. 
Josiah says, man, I have discovered, I've rediscovered this book. And I'm going to tell you, it changes how I live and how I act. I'm going to search out sin in my life and in my nation. And then I'm going to stomp out the evil. I want God's blessing on my family. I want God's blessing on my life. I want God's blessing on my church. I want God's blessing on my nation. And that doesn't happen while you let sin run rampant. Go ahead. Go ahead and choose to be kind and tender-hearted and say, Oh, go ahead and live how you want. I'll live how I want. Go ahead and do whatever you choose. I'll do what I choose. I don't have anything. I'm not going to say what's right or wrong because that's not for me to say. I can't judge you. You can't judge me. Hold on. God's already made the judgment. And I just need to stand where God stands. And if you don't stand where God stands, then you're standing where Satan stands. You choose who you're going to serve because you can only serve God or mammon. And mammon is nothing more than God, the God of this world, Satan. Listen, I'm not trying to be mean and nasty, but we have a bunch of weak, I mean, we have a bunch of weak, need Christians. I mean a bunch of spineless jellyfish Christians that don't want to take a stand on the Word of God. I'm going to tell you something. Somebody peddling tarot cards up here is anti-Christ. You call it whatever you want. They may be nice people, but they aren't certainly pleasing God at all. And I'm telling you, we don't need that in our culture. It's not going to help our nation prosper. We need God on our side. And the Sodomites in America taking their place in the, 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 the public domain and choosing to come out of closets and tell us that they're going to ram it down our throats. I'm going to tell you, it's still an abominable practice. We can't sit there and sugarcoat things. We call it like it is. It's sin, an abomination against God. And it's not going to prosper our nation. It's going to hurt us. Preacher, you're just too mean. No, I'm telling you, that's what the Bible says. You read it. They rediscovered the book. You know why we're accepting every sinful act and every sinful, uh, they call lifestyle these days? Do you know why it's okay for men to be pedophiles now? You say, no it isn't. Yes it is. It's on the internet and it's protected by our First Amendment. I'm going to tell you something. It's sickening today. It's sickening today what's permitted to go on in our culture. And we call it freedom. That's not freedom. It's called sin. And it's an abomination against God. No wonder we have no power with God. No wonder people aren't being saved when the believer is embracing the same lies that the world does. When we have no stand for God. You know why? We've lost this. This isn't, this isn't our faith and practice anymore. We need to rediscover this book. The apostle said, should we obey God or men? I think we'll obey God. Start obeying God. You don't have to agree with what's in this book, but you can be wrong. It's okay, you're allowed. I didn't say you have to agree with me. You don't have to agree with me, but you better agree with God or you're wrong. Let God be true, but every man a liar. It's time that some Christians stand up and start calling sin, sin. He says, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. That's woes to you and me if we'll call it the same. I don't want God's woes. I want God's blessing in my life. I've got a family. I've got a church and a ministry. I've got a nation that I care about. And only God can make the difference in their life. You think the world's got the solutions for us? You think the world really holds the hope of our nation? No, God does. Josiah, eight years old, just eight years into his kingship, eight years into his reign, he says, I'm going to search out God. Four years later, he decides to destroy the idols at the age of 20. 
And then at 26 years of age, he rediscovers a book. And when he rediscovered that book, it unleashed the truth. And he stood for the truth. He took a stand for it. And he began to clean up his nation, clean up his culture, clean up his church, and clean up his family and life. It starts with you as a person, then your family, then your church, then this culture. Listen, I'm begging you, rediscover the book. I wonder today, have you even found Jesus Christ your Savior? You don't have to agree with every, every, every principle in this book. You say, I don't know if I, I want I, I, God that would get rid of this type of, of sin, that God that would do away with this kind of practice, a God that wouldn't accept and receive everything and everyone. I don't know if I want to be a part of that. Well, let me ask you something. You want, would you want a guy like Jeffrey Dahmer hanging around your kids? Some of you know who I'm talking about. You want an Adolf Hitler running the school? We see what he did with a nation. And what, what, what do you expect? You know, we want everyone to be, have the right to live and do whatever they want, and I'm not going to be the judge of it, but listen, when it comes down to it, every one of us are. Every one of us make our own minds up about what we think is right and wrong, but I'm going to tell you, the only place that you really stand with right and wrong is when you agree with God. Oh, everybody's got their standards. Everybody does. You have yours, I have mine. When they rediscovered this book, you know what they found? That God's is the only standard that matters. His opinion's all that counts. You know what? Our nation will never be the great nation that it was until we rediscover this book. Our homes will never be the strong homes they were until we rediscover this book. Our churches will never be the soul-winning effective ministries that they were until we rediscover the book and your life will never be what it needs to be and ought to be until you rediscover this book. Let's rediscover the book. Father, we come to you. We ask you, Lord, for your leadership today. Father, we don't mean to be nasty or mean. That's not my goal. But Lord, I am very burdened about our nation. I'm very burdened about our people. I'm burdened about our churches and my family. Lord, I recognize that the word of God is what I need and what our country needs, what our churches need. Lord, help others to come to that same conclusion. And then, Lord, as we rediscover that book, it will affect our lives in so many different ways. Father, it will truly make a difference. It will impact us in a way that, Father, will change our posture, our perspective. It will change, Father, our priorities and ultimately our practice. Help us to rediscover the book. Today, maybe you're lost without Christ. If you died today, you don't even know for sure if you go to heaven. Let me ask you something. Wouldn't you like to know? Wouldn't you like to know? You can know. See, God wants everyone to be saved. God wants everyone forgiven. God wants everyone to go to heaven. But you have to choose to accept his payment for your sin. You have to choose to accept that. I own a car, and I could give you that car. I have the title. It's mine. That car will do you no good to you accept the title to you accept the gift God extends the gift to every person on earth the problem is not everyone accepts it will you accept his gift today will you let Jesus Christ forgive your sins save your soul and take you to heaven one day preacher that's me I don't know for sure if I died I'd go to heaven please pray for me anybody can I pray for you I don't have it settled I don't know for sure pray for me pray for me pray for me you're a child of God let me ask you something 
how much time you spend in the Word of God. Do you ever think that maybe your perspective is what it is because of who you allow to influence you and what you allow to influence you? What's God have to say about some issues? What's God have to say about life, about the family, about the home, about church? What's He say about our world and our culture? What's He say about the things we should spend our time on? I'm just wondering, do you need to rediscover the book? If you do, it'll change some things. Father, we come to you. Lord, we ask for your leadership now. Speak to our heart in these next moments. May you be glorified in what's said and done, what's accomplished for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet.